Don't be afraid of being something more. It improves posture. You're searching to be more, you're searching to learn more, you're searching to do more. It's a call to action. It's a call for ownership. A means to really live, whatever that means to you. Welcome to the show. All right, welcome back. Uh, we're going to be digging into Cradle to Grave Fitness today. So if you guys don't want to listen to our radars, which they're very interesting, so I would stay here. But if you don't, just go ahead to the, go down to that time code and jump to the main topic. But... We're going to start with James. James, <laughs> what are you looking at? What's going on? I never knew that was an option. Yeah, it's why, an option. Why would we recommend that as an option? <laughs> Make him listen to <laughs> Who every opens up that seconds. show? It says that. James, we've only said that for three straight weeks. Oh, he, I haven't been around one, for two. Or maybe, did you even say and it at the oh, no, not at the No, not at the thing. We didn't do, the, we didn't do radars at the conference. Oh, hey, hey welcome to a Live a Larger Life show. Don't skip the radar. Uh, listen up. And then uh, you'll just Should find we start out. That so Should we start that over? I'm going to actually no, like say it. things <laughs> in the next little bit that you, 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 uh, you can't listen to the rest of it until you hear it. So how about that? Um, I, don't ha I don't have a radar, but my starting point is always uh, All-American Award for the week. We haven't had that for a bit. And uh, it ties into what I'm doing at the time as well. The uh, All-American of the week is uh, a gentleman named Rafael Manguel. And uh, he works at the uh, he works out of uh, the Manhattan Institute, and he, he's written a book called Criminal Injustice, and the in is in uh, brackets, and it's um, it's just great information basically. And knowing his personal story based upon it is really good as well. Where he grew up in a in a tough neighborhood and s saw how you know his family moved around and his observances and how he lived his life and uh, reflected upon uh, crime in general, and that's where he's digging in right now as a scholar and uh, the book uh, highlights all the things you can imagine in terms of crime and justice within uh, the American system. Uh, incarceration, numbers, violence in general, uh, the differences, so uh, really good. Um, the only things that I want to add uh, as well as to what's happening to me is uh, I just started um, Steven Pinker's um, uh, course, um, his free course that he offers, it's called Introductory Introduction to Psychology Science. It's free, fairly accessible, um, and uh, I'm excited about that. Uh, some of the, I even took down some notes uh, already uh, based upon that. One of the big ones I got from the first couple were uh, that uh, expectations uh, drive perceptions. And uh, that's a it's, I think it's just a really important thing that we talk about all the time in terms of intentions for movement, intentions for actions, et cetera, intentions for your choices that you make. A lot of it has to do with what your original expectations going into those things and those decision makings, uh, decisions made are. And uh, I, I almost uh, never made it back on my bike ride on Sunday. It was an interesting uh, story. I, it's not, I guess it's not considered a bonk if you actually like don't get back. So it's uh, just pre-bonk. But uh, I made that, uh, you know, uh, decision that those who venture out uh, without any plans sometimes make where it's like, I'm going to go this way, but I'm not sure if I go that way, how much time it's going to take to, and I made that decision and <laughs> I almost paid for it. <laughs> Were you <laughs> in the desert? Uh, yep. Yep. Uh, I was north of here and uh, I generally have a route that 
it'll take uh, you know a couple hours and uh, this one I wanted to extend out and yeah everything was normal uh, like normally would be for hydration and what I had packed and etc but yeah I barely made it back the closing in you know the the low blood sugar the hallucinations how long were you out what time of day three it was about it was uh, 7 a.m. till about 10:30 11 a.m. on Sunday this past Sunday hmm. yeah so you weren't like neck of the woods. You, you weren't at the point where you're searching for coyotes for food. No, or <laughs> or what I've done before. I was out running and I bonked. I actually stole um, a dog's uh, water dish and drank his water. <laughs> I thought you were going to finish that and stole a dog. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and you could figure out what happened after that. Um, no, I stole his dish. You know, these people were out walking where I was running and. And I saw it there on the way. I was like, oh, that was interesting. And running back, I was like, it was like an oasis coming upon an oasis. And I sucked that stuff down it was that the dog probably was uh, licking just to stay alive. But, hey, survival of the fittest. <laughs> uh, quick, quick question on Pinker's course. What, what are, why are you in that? What's going on? What are your intentions out of that? Um, well, why, why am I in it? I, I think back to, like, how I got connected to it. And uh, it was from a actually a... Um, the Genius of Thomas Sowell podcast, and they had interviewed uh, Steven Pinker. And in that, I then went to uh, look at some of the relationships and similarities between Steven Pinker and Thomas Sowell and what they both think about one another, which is kind of interesting. And then that led to me recognizing that both of them have lots of similarities in terms of their intellectual uh, advice and their intellectual offerings. Um, and how some of it is just free and crazy <laughs> that it's that it's free. It's unbelievable that it's there. Uh, and uh, went to his particular webpage, stevepinker.com. Mm -hmm. uh, so it was from the podcast to his webpage to see his photos uh, and uh, his media and the stuff that he offers that free. And he offers this course and boom. Cool. Start taking it. Awesome. Yeah. Candice, what about you? Cool. What are you looking at? Um, I listened to an Eric Helms review of another review that was on a series of so studies. So much meta right now. I it's know, like right? the genius of Thomas Sowell podcast <laughs> interviewing Steven Pinker interview a of, of a, review. oh my God, it's too much going <laughs> review on. Review of a review, but uh, it was Eric Helms reviewing, um, a review on the role of physical activity and appetite control and or weight loss or uh, weight control. And I think it was interesting to me because I think typically we look at like energy balance. We think calories in, calories out. We think of exercise in the calories out equation. Um, but this was just kind of like taking a different look at it and thinking about the role of exercise in hunger levels and hunger cueing and really just hitting home on the, like the further away we move from our like ancestral activity levels, um, the more screwed up we get in terms of understanding hunger signals and um, responding to satiation and uh, I just thought it was super interesting because I had never really thought about it that way but obviously with the obesity um, ec epidemic that's a huge issue because people are moving less and eating a lot more and feeling hungry all the time and kind of not understanding why um, they mentioned this like I think in the 1950s there was a, a large study um, at a factory that they they referenced quite a bit through this just uh, assessing people's activity levels and response to food and they reference I think this is pretty a pretty uh, well studied J curve that happens with uh, the correlation between uh, food intake and and exercise and and hunger levels but yeah I just thought it was a, a different perspective and interesting to think about it also in like the bodybuilding community there's a lot of um, 
or I guess just in the nutrition community as well, there's a, a lot of references to like, oh, exercise actually doesn't matter. It's all about calories in and food quality and food choices, like from a weight, weight loss perspective. But thinking about the fact that if you do have normal activity levels or uh, a good amount of activity, you it's actually going to support um, hunger signaling and and then impacts the other side of the equation that we don't normally think about. So I just thought it was an interesting perspective. What was the what was the conclusion on that one? Like, what was the takeaway from that? The review of the review. Uh, I guess just thinking that recognizing that both sides of the equation impact each other, even though we like to like think about it as a pure math equation, it's not. And um, and a focus on getting people to move more, uh, being more active, and, and not deviating from the, the you know our historical uh, normals norms of, of movement. Yeah. Anecdotally, I mean, as someone who moves a lot, uh, we all piled into a car to go to our team retreat last week and spent the day on the road, not really moving, not doing a lot. And I think about what my hunger was like throughout that day. And I was way more hungry and had much more of an appetite than I normally would where, you know, part of that is sitting and not doing a lot, right? You're just a little bit bored in that car ride. But I noticed that anytime I'm more sedentary, that my uh, appetite goes up and I do reach for food at times that I wouldn't normally, right? I'm typically very structured in when breakfast, lunch, dinner, snacks are. And I find I lose those anchor points throughout my day when I don't have movement and don't have structure to my days. And I'm sure most people can probably relate to that feeling. Absolutely. I think you and I were chatting about this too, and you referenced the opposite side of the equation too. Like when you are um, really uh, moving a lot and preparing for a competition and you notice your um, activity levels increase, you actually lose hunger in that instance also. Yeah, and that's, that's not a good thing, right? Yeah. Like that can go too far in the other direction too, but uh, it's, it's that relationship is really interesting. Yeah, I thought so. Yeah, the uh, move, um, because that comes back to the move because you can notions. Um, again, not to highlight, you know, intentions based upon it and, and let's call it the stuff that's inside of science and the review, reviews based upon that, but the a priori and premise for all of this stuff is again, uh, the rehabilitative or sports medicine paradigm, which is, you know, w w why is this review or why is this conversation even happening? Oh, it's we don't want people getting fat. That's the entire premise, mm -hmm. right? So just let's, let's all not forget that. Not that we can't extract still great things from it. Uh, Stefan Guianet wrote Hungry Brain. I uh, just finished Ponser's book, finally uh, burned a couple of weeks ago. Talks about energy constraint theory that you just picked up on, you know, signals in the brain basically in the hypothalamus that'll give you indications that you know of ideas of let's call it the pseudo set point theory that regardless of what kind of exercise you do it actually you know this needs to be stretched out but it actually doesn't really matter um, so your activity matters a very very small amount because over time your body adapts to a certain thing that it knows it's going to get and you see now that you start even going down that rabbit hole you know people is like oh well, what should you do what should you do you know what you should do you should not even think about it, <laughs> you know? Like, don't, e don't even get into the weeds of it. Uh, why? Because your whole mindset and vision is based upon losing fat. And, and, that, that's, a, and that's, the, that's the wrong mindset to have. I'm sorry, yeah. I'm using my language, right? Wrong mindset? Yeah, it's the wrong mindset. Your mindset should be you got to move because you can, move because it's for you. And then it, then it quashes away all those things. Um, and maybe another time we can get into the... To the the reverse feedback mechanism, right? So if you move because you can, you move because it's for you, my belief is that all the other things work together with that, mm -hmm. right? So then you don't even have to worry about uh, the appetite or hunger signals or things like that. It just naturally kind of works together. But 
Anyhow. Oh, I also forgot to mention uh, the exercised book that mm. uh, is a colleague of Ponser. Uh, that is great on your point there of the ancestral concept. And this is the constant thing that we will, uh, you know, that's why I say move because you can. You know, there's no, there's no adult parks or, uh, you know, I don't have to go hunt for my food. Do you know what I'm saying? And, and find some honey, you know, to, to, to save us, et cetera. Uh, so this is what we're dealt with. We're 2022. We got lights. We got porcelain toilets and iPhones. And uh, so we got to, be like, oh, well, geez, well, I don't have time for my food, so what should we do, you know? And you're not going to find the answers in science. You're going to find the answers in people coming up with creative ways to be um, having positive intentions around moving. Yeah, I think uh, even if you remove, um, if you remove the scientific concept behind this idea and this review, um, it, it just makes sense when you think about uh, what our brains are, are really wired to seek, right? When we start thinking about seeking pleasure. Um, when we're bored as humans, we seek something that makes us not bored. And that's usually pleasure, right? So if you're like, uh, if you're moving, if you're out walking, if you're talking, if you're communicating and all of that, it's like, we're probably not thinking about food if we're not actually hungry. When we're sitting in a car for six hours, and we're just like looking at the road pass us by, um, our brains just like what, like, I need something to fill the time, I need something to fill the gap. So the idea of like, seeking pleasure in food it, I, th I think it goes back to that idea um because if we were to like really look at it it's like you know what is the mechanism that is causing you to be hungry i would argue that it's boredom it's not necessarily like your body saying please feed me because i can't sustain myself otherwise um so i don't know i, I guess i'm just looking at it from like a more simplistic point of view where it's like our brains want to be distracted by something and when they're not it seeks pleasure. Yeah, I don't think there's any <coughs> doubt that in today's digital world, that's the case. Um, I think on you strip humans down, though, I think humans seek knowledge and not pleasure. Um, and I think it's based upon a reproduction and survival instinct that's innate inside of us uh, for increasing progeny, improving, you know, these natural human altruistic things that we have inside of us. I think those are the things that, to counterpoint your point, <coughs> um, that are deep inside of us that allow us then to make decisions based upon stuff, you know, but I think in 2022, it's very tough to see that because, you know, I don't have sticks, you know, reaching for ants, trying to get a calorie from an ant, mm -hmm. you know? Yep. It's a All lot right. of ants. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I just think of the Lion King. But there was other just like grub, just pulling up the grub, yeah. all the worms yeah. and ants and all mm -hmm. that stuff. And the soil. Calories. Mm -hmm. Um, James, you're going to say something there? Uh, no, um, well, that they did, they did eat, back to your point on the ancestral ways, they ate a lot of insects. Yeah, quite very kinds. Of course, there would be ants would probably be like pepper and salt, maybe, on top of all the <laughs> insects. A little crunch, like a chia seed. Yes, exactly. <laughs> they found it in their, their poop. All right, I came across an article uh, this week, um, and it was just talking about this, this bill or this act that is currently sitting or pending in Congress. And it's called the FIT Act, P-H-I-T, not P-H-A-T, P-H-I-T. that was a thing of P-H-A-T? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Pretty hot and tempting. Mm -hmm. <laughs> That's what I said, not P-H-A-T. The good fat. Yeah, P-H-I-T. I'm just <laughs> blown by it being FIT, you yeah. know, F-I-T. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so uh, P-H-I-T, so it stands for the Personal Health Investment Today Act. So that's sitting in Congress. Um, if you're listening to this, you might have he heard about this. It's been floating around since about 2016. Uh, so it was uh, sitting at the House for a while that it got voted through. Now it's sitting in Congress. So 
Uh, let's talk about what it is first. So this bill would allow the use of HSAs and FSAs to be used for uh, the following. Health club memberships, personal training services, exercise DVDs. So this has been sitting there for a while because they're still talking about exercise DVDs. Exercise equipment, exercise competition fees, for example, 5K entrance fees, marathons, uh, yoga and other group fitness classes, sports camps, and clinics. It would not cover, this one is, I couldn't, I dug into this and I couldn't really find anything specifically on this one, but this, this kind of was like, what are you talking about here? Membership fees at specific private clubs. So it would not cover that. So I don't know what that means for like, uh, if a coach is listening to this, like, and we really want the, the fat act to go through or the fit act to go through. Slip. (laughs) (laughs) What do they call that? A Freudian slip. Uh, They want the fit act to go through. It's like that membership fees at specific private clubs. Uh, not sure on that click, did a, did a little bit of research and they didn't go far into what they meant by that. Um, and then footwear and apparel that can be used, that can be utilized outside of sport exercise. For example, sneakers and yoga pants. So sorry, uh, you guys that are trying to pay for your million dollar Lululemon. Um, so what this thing would do, it will, it would allow up to $1,000 for individuals and $2,000 for family families. So, um, are you guys familiar with HSAs and, and all that? So it's just, it's, it's money that you put aside that's completely untaxed. So it'll allow you to, to dig into those things uh, for uh, fitness exercise, DVDs, exercise equipments, and all of that. Um, right now, it only, it's only coded for things such as prescriptions and medical visits. So the idea here, when you really look at the bill, what they're pushing forward is we need to go from uh, a reactive to a proactive approach, kind of what we talked about a few times uh, on this show specifically Um, because they're looking at things like prescriptions and medical visits as a reactive approach to healthcare, And they're like, how can we take a more proactive approach? And this thing has been bouncing around for about six years now, which is insane when we go through the cost considerations. So the estimated cost, if this bill were to go through, would be about $3.5 billion over the next 10 years. Hmm. To give that context, the federal budget last year was 4.79 trillion with a t trillion dollars so if this went through it would cost 0.007 percent so 007.007 percent of the federal budget over the next decade so relatively when we look at those two things when we look at 3.5 b's we're like okay that's that's a lot of money we look at uh, 4.79 t's that's also a lot of money so 0.007 percent and the pushback this is getting is the cost of it like what would this cost us as a country to push through mm-hmm. when you look at that you're like why are we even why are we even having this conversation just push it through and let's see what happens right um so also just kind of digging a little bit deeper this isn't in the bill but um in some uh some articles it wasn't the article that we have attached um in the show this is kind of like an uh an overarching uh, explanation of what the bill is and, and uh, the chances of it going through. But another article it said that about $117 billion is spent annually in healthcare costs related to or associated with inadequate physical activity. So I know it's not as simple as like doing that, that math equation and saying, if we add this, we're going to take away 40% of the, uh, 117, the $117 billion. But if we're able to take away uh, 3.5% of that, this thing's already paying for itself. So I just found it interesting, um, A, that this thing is, that this thing might gain enough legs over the next six months to actually be passed and, and go through. 
but B, how much, how hard it is to push something through like this. Um, it's, uh, it's sat at the house for years before it got voted through. And, you know, when you, if you go to their Wikipedia page, actually, it'll like actually tell you, uh, senators that voted it through senators that were against it and some reasonings, some reasons behind why it wasn't pushed through or why it got the, the nay from some of those senators. And it was all associated with cost, um, which was just really, really interesting. Um, I won't go conspiracy theory on that, um, but you can kind of see how you could go down that route of senators not wanting this thing to go through, looking at the cost considerations and being like, this is a no-brainer. But it's like, who's losing if this does go through and actually does have an impact? Um, but yeah, good news is it looks like it will go through. Uh, we'll have to wait and see what the heck the membership fees at specific private clubs really means. Uh, but this could be really interesting uh, for uh, people that are running those businesses, if they do get if they do get approval here, uh, to be able to say, hey, you can use your HSA here to come and uh, and exercise at my facility. Yeah, I don't think it's good news. Um, <clears throat> I think social systems create sick people. Uh, we've had that in place for a hundred years, and um, anything that the government's going to touch with regards to health has immediately and unendingly been corrupt and disgusting. Um, we've just seen that play out over the past couple of years. Um, I can see how this could be seen as a positive uh, light, but unless they're going to start putting, you know, uh, regulations as well on shitty foods, as well as uh, techn technology for young kids and access, um, uh, uh, and not even not also mentioned in the same conversation in this bill that movement is actually free. There's actually no cost for movement. There's no cost for movement. I don't. I don't know how many other times we, I have to say that. So when it when it when it when it talks about covering things, what are you actually covering? The only thing that the government wants to cover is the opportunity for Lululemon and a bunch of people in big pharma to make a shit ton of money. That's the that's the only way this works. So you're, what you're going to get is the exact same arm that came out of the medical system with regards to insurance coverage, and you ask anyone inside the medical system about the insurance system, they fucking hate it. Why? Because it creates dependent people that don't want to make the steps to become responsible for themselves and their own health. And so this is exactly what this will turn into, which can seemingly look like a positive light, but if the government touches anything, it's fucking, it's disgusting. It's gonna, it's gonna just erode uh, the entire system. I could be way off on top of that, but I don't think I am. And uh, I'm happy that I just learned about it today and I didn't do any pre-reading because I would have had five pages of shit to say based upon that act. So I appreciate you bringing it up and it's going to give me more reading over the next couple of weeks and maybe I'll end up in Washington in two weeks uh, with a sign that says uh, this is m actually making people less free with this idea. Yeah. The, when I look at the idea of HSAs and, and FSAs, um, those things exist today, right? So uh, when I look at this act specifically, and, you know, there's, there's, there's downstream um, uh, pieces that come along with anything, right? Uh, the whole idea of, like, what is the trade-off? Uh, nothing's ever just added, and it's a net positive. There's always, always, always a trade-off, even if it does look really good on, on the surface. But when I look at the idea of HSAs and, and FSAs, and you really dig into it, uh, when, when, you, when you really look at like what, what is being asked here, it's literally we have these things that already exist in HS and FSAs. It can, those things can, you can use your own money that you're putting aside 
to cover medical expenses and, and uh, doctor visits and prescriptions and all of that for them just to add like, oh, and you can also use it for this. I don't actually see that as a too much of a negative, but I, I know where you're coming from there, where it's like, what are those downstream effects of this bill and this idea? Because um, when you look into the bill, it's actually not that lengthy. Um, I don't know if you guys have ever like really dug in and read the legislation. Usually it's an absolute crap show Juggernaut. of just like, mm-hmm. there's just like a lot there and you're just like, okay, what, how do I read between the lines? This is just a couple pages of like, this is what we're asking for. Um, and it's, it's interesting when you go and, and it, I haven't seen it in an article, but just, yeah, just dig into the Wikipedia page and just like click on the senators that said no. Um, and obviously there's probably some things there that I haven't wrapped my head around, or maybe I've just, I'm just not capable of wrapping my head around, but, uh, the reasons why it got nays that that's weird to me. Um, so there could be some digging to go in there, why it got nays or nos. Oh yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, so yeah. yeah, I think just because it exists doesn't mean that you now have an arm of it. I just, I just also think about, um, like, I, I, I don't deserve that money, right? I also, I also look around and... It's your money, though. No one's giving you anything. They're just allowing you to use your own money tax-free. I, I know, but, uh, but it's, it just, I just think about, like, the individuals that really need it, mm-hmm. right? Are they really going to be buying sneakers and entering a 5K? They can't buy sneakers. <laughs> or whatever. That what? was one of the no Lululemon okay. and no sneakers. Okay. Well, somehow they'll find a way to. Yeah. Maybe that's why the senator said no. They're like, we need to, we need to give this back to Nike and Lulu. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't know. There's something really ugly about but having, you know, the, the the just the top-down idea saying that we're in control now, and yeah, now you can we can put this arm of like physical fitness, no matter what you want to call it, underneath coverage. That just sc- like that just screams insurance garbage, mm-hmm. right? I mean, that that's what we know today. We've known this for fifty years, right? What's inside that bullshit insurance system coverage for medicine? Um, and if no, if you guys are just learning about this, then do your work on it. But it's disgusting inside of it. It creates like a nation of sick people. That's what it creates. Yeah, I, the thing that's interesting to me is uh, what it could end up doing to the gyms and the service itself that's being offered. Less about like the behavior of the people and more about what that service looks like. Because I think about the experience I've had with, for example, personal uh, physical therapists, right? In a insurance-based versus a cash-based system. And it's incredibly different. In the insurance-based, you're typically working with a tech. They've got like eight people in the in the facility at a time there's like one physical therapist that's there they're trying to cram in as many people as possible and they want you coming back three days a week for eight weeks or as long as they can have you whereas you look at something like uh, a cash-based physical therapist they see you once maybe they see you twice they're there with you the entire time they give you your homework and you go off and do it so I wonder if we could end up having something like that happening in a gym environment where they know they have this source of insurance-based dollars to bring people into their facility so the actual end product ends up being diluted. That's why I bolded the the membership fees at specific private clubs because that's what that goes back to, right? Like when you look at um, physical therapy, um, cash-based versus insurance-based. Insurance-based, there's a lot of rules and red tape, right, where it's like, you have to treat this one particular thing for 25 minutes. This amount of exercise needs to be done for that, right? So when we look at membership fees at specific private clubs, I'm going to assume, and that's under the would not cover, I'm going to assume there's going to be rules 
And I think that's kind of what you're getting at. Yeah. And James, maybe that's what you're feeling as well, where it's like to use this, you have to do X, Y, and Z. You can't do A, B, and C. So you can't do it your way. You have to do it our way. Um, so I think that's, that's why I have that bolded of would not cover membership fees at specific private clubs. Why is that? This yeah. could be my ignorance, but HSA and FSA typically is delivered in the form of like a debit card, right? Like you've allocated those funds, but w wouldn't you be able to use a cash-based service because you're essentially just charging that card, which is already no, you, only dollars. only certain only it. certain yeah only certain providers can accept HS and mm -hmm. FSA. Yeah, see, this like we could go <laughs> on for ten hours. This is the exact same conversation around food stamps, right? It's a five-page booklet. Right, it's a five-page booklet. Oh, what about this? Go over here. What about here? Does it uncover this? Cover this? Cover this? Cover this? Think about that, right? It's a, it, and, you, and you confusing. go, it makes it extremely confusing. And at the end of the day, what do people use food stamps for? Doritos and Pepsi, right? So there's, there's always a way that this will be corrupted because everyone's forgetting, where is all this coverage coming from? That's my point. Yeah, I think it's unfair to use PT and clamp that over into fitness because PT is inside a medicine and they're licensed practitioners based upon that so that changes up a bit I don't want to I don't want to go off on the the pain and dependency model based upon that because I think that's a bait and switch as well or encroachment especially inside of fitness but with regards to fitness I'm still not connecting the value of the fitness coach and the knowledge that they provide the government should not be in any way paying for that person to get that knowledge that's what I'm seeing the loophole here so if you're cut like think about the equinox trainer of the gyms that you're talking about right mm -hmm. you know someone's going to get coverage right so we could we could go down and talk well where's where's that money coming from it's government money right it's government money you know from over here on the insurance which in the end government makes money off anyways it's a whole big circle of that of that money being spent but the the coach doesn't get paid for their knowledge right it's not it's not there it's not coming from the consumer the consumer is getting that money from the government and uh, maybe this is this is where we're I think this is seeing where, differently. Uh, yeah, I think this is where you and I are seeing differently. They're actually not getting the money from the government. They're getting the money from their own checks. So they're contributing into that. The only, the only upside is, is it's tax-free money, right? It's tax-free money. So the government is giving back, let's call it 8%. So if someone, if someone has $1,000 in their HSA, that is $1,000. Of their money. Absolutely $1,000, not taxed. So the benefit of having an HSA when you go, let's say you get in get into an accident and you have to go to the emergency room and you don't have any insurance or HSA, when you have to pay your bill, you also have to pay tax on that bill. Mm -hmm. If you have an HSA, you're paying that bill under whatever their HSA coverage is and you're not paying any tax on that. But the employee or the person that's working is contributing into their own account. So it's a lot different than food stamps because it's not given to oh, yeah. them by the, by the government. Just giving, it's not subsidized. Yeah, I'm just giving an example of coverage. Yeah. Right? So I'm still, I, and I've, first of all, you know, lastly, I can't even believe I'm in this conversation because movement is free. So, uh, but I'm just decided to be inside the conversation <laughs> to talk about uh, coverage. Like, you know, I, I just... I'm not getting it. Yeah. I'm not getting it. And I think I, I think that's a I think that's an issue with insurance as a whole, though, right? Because that's the in, entire insurance industry, yeah. right? That's, yeah. That's everything. Yeah. And that's we, going to get braces put on your teeth, right? Your kids' teeth. Do you have coverage to get braces put on their teeth? Yeah. You know. Yeah. So anywhere that's lunges and broccoli inside of that, I just get squirmy. Yeah. No, maybe pay that coach and teach that person that uh, lunges and broccoli is all you need. Pay $1,000 for one year and boom. Yeah, or go to school, get a fucking job, earn money, and then you can pay a coach. 
out of your own cash. And if that's somehow there's like benefits over time mm -hmm. because of the way you've learned and because of the job that you worked hard for to get, because of the cash that you have and the assets that you've built, yeah, I think maybe you can deserve some kind of kickbacks in things if you get into an accident. Mm -hmm. But still, I'm not going to say that that person should get kickbacks or coverage on broccolis and lunges because they're free. Like, I still don't see how out of that person's paycheck they should get kickbacks for it. We're not even talking about the uncomfortable aspect here of people thinking that they should get this covered, right? That you shouldn't get taxed on that. I mean, we're, 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 we're jumping over this area of the value inside of what we're teaching, right? I just, uh just—it's very yucky for me. The whole thing is very yucky, yeah. and I can't. Uh, well, I need I'm going to stop defending this bill. Like, I need more I'm time like on it. A senator that's <laughs> behind it. And that, no, and no, I, I just—I yeah. <laughs> just want to give like a different perspective, yeah, right? Shit, for sure. But <coughs> man, I, I definitely needed. To, I should have done a lot of pre-reading on it beforehand. <sighs> yeah, would have had more clarity on what's inside of it, but it just screams ickiness. Yeah. You guys want to change uh, pace a little yeah. bit? I don't I know. <laughs> we say that, but we never really change pace. We're just talking about something different, but I on mean, the same we'll pace. We'll somehow involve government inside of Taylor <laughs> we Swift. We probably will. Well, James is uh, giving it away. I, my radar piece is going to be on Taylor Swift. Uh, this is an interesting one for me, but it's one I felt I couldn't just leave go and let behind. Uh, not really a Taylor Swift fan. Like, I have no, no problem with her, but it's not the kind of music that I usually get behind. Um, but she has been on my mind the last couple of days because she released a new song called Antihero. And there was a video clip that went along with it, uh, or a music video, as they say in America. Video clip would be Australian for that. Um, and basically what happens throughout the course of this music video and in the lyrics of the song is it's Taylor playing with what she says are nightmare scenarios and intrusive thoughts playing out in real time. And there's like the real version of Taylor and then there's this other version of Taylor, which it's, it's her doppelganger, who is the anti-hero, who is uh, kind of, you know, yelling out all of her demons at her throughout the course of this song. And so one of the scenes in the music video, she uh, is in the bathroom and she steps on the bathroom scale and there's the version of her looking over her shoulder. She looks down at the scale and the words fat come up on, on the scale. Uh, and essentially this was uh, Taylor Swift talking about her body insecurities, the disordered eating behaviors that she's had in the past that she has spoken about publicly and the like really unrealistic beauty standards that she's felt have been put on her in this position where, you know, she's basically starved herself for periods of time where she's seen an unflattering photo of herself or something like that. So anyway, Taylor's, you know, bearing it all, uh, sharing her soul, talking about her inner demons, and she gets a lot of backlash for the fact that she used the word fat on the scale uh, because it was suggested by some very angry uh, Twitter folks and then some folks uh, who wrote BuzzFeed articles and the like that by putting the words fat on the scale and by Taylor looking at that and saying that this is a demon that I wrestle with, that she is fat phobic and she is uh, inherently saying that fat is bad. So rather than engaging in dialogue with these folks and maybe talking about why it's important to be empathetic with people's individual experiences and uh, you know, uh, just because you feel something is the way it is doesn't mean that that person had that intention behind what they put out when they bear their soul through their art. And I mean, art is inherently right, something that is incredibly individual, a refle reflection of that person, the artist who's putting that out there. I feel like I'm defending Taylor so hard right now. <laughs> but rather than, than uh, you know, engaging in that conversation, she changed the video. 
Uh, they pulled wow. down the original and they put up a new version that didn't have that one scene in it. Mm that said fat. And uh, again, I think this was a missed opportunity on her part uh, to engage with those folks and have the conversation. And honestly, I want to remove the, the health conversation from it. We kind of had that conversation. I think it was episode two that we did on uh, obesity and conversation around that. I think like, let's just like strip that out entirely. Let's look at the fact that we're invalidating someone's experience and labeling them as fat phobic because they use the word fat. Like that just seems so so ridiculous to me uh, and I do think that there is there's a lot of young girls like I think about myself as maybe 12 or 13 if I'd watched that Taylor Swift video I may have felt seen by that you know I may have like not gone on I probably would have because there's so many pressures from everywhere you know spending a few years of my life worrying that I was fat uh, when I saw someone who I idolized wrestling with the same demons and you realize just how unrealistic that is so I think it's sad that she's not allowed to put that out there and have that conversation. I don't have too much more to say about it, but uh, I just, yeah, it, that, that is something in pop culture that is so reflective of some of the conversations that we're having and a really, I think, strong example of why we need to have these conversations. Yeah, that Taylor was the, the emblem of it makes it very difficult, right? Knowing the past and the idol tree and you know, uh, the responsibilities she has to take. I mean, she decided to do a lot of the entire thing. And uh, if you know her story and know her background, she has to take some responsibility, if not some, all, you know, because uh, I, mean, I know your words were the social standards that were put on her, you know. Yeah, you step into the limelight right. and you do. You decide to do all those things. It still doesn't mean that I agree with you to your point on how it's been treated. I see it as a, as a larger issue across, across just culture, that um, it, it, it's it's pretty dark. It's pretty dark because this is exactly like. I mean, I just hear a number of people that were Eastern Europeans or immigrants to this land that uh, that say, like, you guys really do have a serious problem with what the way you're treating one another as to what you can and cannot say in a public square. Right, and this would be an example of that. So I see Taylor Swift and that issue being a much larger issue, um, and it's probably just on the back end of watching a documentary on Ber Berlin, 1945, where there's, uh, you know, family members that committed their parents because they were hiding Jews, right? So, you know, siblings that wanted their parents put to death because of a certain action. Right, so that may sound pretty grotesque and deep and dark, but this is the same kind of shit. It's these little kind of steps where someone is not capable only because you have a small minority few who can type on their phone to say like, I don't think you should have said that because it hurt my feelings. It, <laughs> you know, and I thought even 20, 30 years ago, we, we had that like, no, this is the place to come to have your voice and to kind of say what you want to say and you know shit will work itself out so i see it as a much un uncomfortable larger issue uh of free speech basically absolutely uh if you you can go back and cover our episode too on the topic right because we we i think we all were pretty settled on what we feel about the fat fat language ableism you know in the context i think we talked uh, actually quite adult-like and admirably about how people should approach the topic um, we said, if, if, we, if you guys don't remember, um, that character matters and your effort matters. That's, that's where we want to place the conversation, right? So who you are as a person and what are your efforts to become a better person? That's where we start with, with character using MLK's, you know, 
uh, base support uh, on that. Uh, but, but you know, I, I, I can understand, I can also understand the small minority conversation of people who actually are a little scared. Um, you know, I'll just stop there because, you know, being, we said it on our show that being fat is unhealthy. So we got to contend with that and those comments that we made too. Yeah, I think, uh, you know, because you said, and I, I know you're not actually defending Taylor Swift. You don't know Taylor Swift, but, um, or maybe you do. I don't, I don't know if you do or not. Um, Text away. But you said, <laughs> you said, um, uh, this, or you, you, you said the statement of like, it sounds like I'm defending her. Um, I don't know if this is just me, like a very, very outsider point of view looking at that. Like, you know, there's just so many different subcultures, right? Like, I think she actually lives in the subculture where she probably doesn't give a crap that she had to change that. She's probably just like, oh, my bad, I didn't think about it, and then just, like, changed it. I don't think she was, like, super defensive of, like, oh, no, it was, like, this was my voice. I was expressing my, my the artist inside of me, right? Like, just if you know her background around, like, how fake she has been to, like, uh, serve her fans and not to lose fans and all that. I don't know if you guys know the whole, like, Kanye West story, mm -hmm. her and Kanye saying the, the stuff in his song that she gave him permission to say and then they put it out and their fans went against it and then she went against him and said, I can't believe he said this to me. And then they released the Snapchat video of her on the phone with Kanye saying, yeah, yeah, definitely go ahead and say that. So just because I have that like viewpoint on her, like she just feels like, uh, I don't call it a fake person. What is a real or fake person, but someone that probably just like lives there and is okay with kind of like making decisions based on what the majority wants to see or hear. Um, but we're looking at it from an outsider point of view and we're like, how did you, why did you change that? Why didn't you just have a conversation about it? Mm -hmm. I don't know if she wanted to have a conversation yeah. even, about it. Even if it is, even if all those things about her are true, right? Even she, it, let's just say a morally repugnant individual and it's all completely fake. You should still not remove that video. Yeah. That's the, that's, that's where my stance, you know, I forget everything in, in the past based upon that, right? Just because someone's feelings are hurt based upon a commentary of that. You know, those are truths that are revealed inside of millions of people's minds, right? So regardless of who the person is, considering Taylor Swift, that's where I, that's where the buck stops with me is that removal of that because some people are going to be hurt. I see that as a very dark entrance into, into other things. We yeah. all think, oh, don't worry, you know, you know, Taylor Swift has all this money, you know, how's it going to affect her? Yeah, but there's millions of people who are also going to be stumped like that in wanting to speak honestly about something. And they're not going to be allowed to. And so now this is another example of that. Absolutely. Yeah, I just found it disheartening the way people piled on this issue. And again, the fact that a few tweets were able to go viral, uh, you end up with like major publications writing on this. And again, su suggesting that just because someone, just because this was portrayed this way, that the word fat was used, that that is inherently fat phobic. But that's I, not surprising to you, though. It's not surprising. It it's far. upsetting. Yeah. Yeah. I don't even. Yeah, gosh. It's not surprising to me relative to like how people live in the cesspool yeah. of social media, yeah, yeah. Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, Snapchat, the whole thing. I think the whole thing is a cesspool. Um, if anyone's interested, you could just get off all of them. That'll take you away from the entire conversation. And I can still listen to Taylor Swift on Apple iTunes and uh, pay nine bucks a month for it. So you could do that. We're going to get so much hate from Taylor Swift fans mm. from uh, your comments there, Carl. <laughs> what did I say? Oh, you d I just I just said facts. She is a golden girl to a lot of people. Oh, really? That's cool. I mean, you just shouldn't. Man, they need to I, do I, a little I, bit more research. <laughs> I really thought cancel culture was over, but I guess. What? It's still a thing. I thought that was like so five, oh two gosh. years ago. No two way. years ago, I thought we were done with it. 
No way. Yeah. Everyone's yeah. I mean, what was James? What was the word? Changing. What was the word that you used it's the other changing. week? Idolatry, right? Mm. It's like that's that's our first problem. Like we should not idolize any other human being to that extent where like, you yeah. get upset if you figure out they did something wrong or they said something wrong or someone said something about them that you don't agree with. Uh, I think that's where I would start with those people. I it's agree. Like stop putting those people the, on a pedestal. In, in human nature, yeah, the status thing that we have as an issue is I agree with you. Um, but then it still extends out that, you know, if that's going to happen, right, if this is going to be real, that people will be idolized, then they should be able to speak their mind freely mm-hmm. because they earn the right to get to that position to be able to say whatever the heck they want. And uh, that's a big issue. Her music's good. Or it used to be good. I don't. Know. I haven't listened to it lately, but she had some. Yeah, she had some pretty I'm good. I'm not gonna lie. There's been. Some pretty I can like remember tapping a foot or or working <laughs> out to some uh, some Taylor Swift tunes. Um, it's just ironic to keep going on that though. Um, my girls are not fans, mm. so it does show you the stamp that she had was on a particular generation. Yeah. And it's not due to accessibility or whatever. There's just, you know, how you would know that with different generations, things pass through and. You know, for I just don't know why I thought of YouTube, but YouTube just transcended like 40 years of people, right? And there's lots of data to even show that maybe prior to the digital age is unfair, but but she stopped, I think, after she's a millennial, yeah, like a millennial, yeah, she's golden girl, yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. exactly. So, anyways, yeah, I think about the people that like love her and they're they're like 30. I'm 30 yeah. and I don't love her. No, no, I'm saying they but fall in yeah. yeah, being yeah. 30. Yeah. Oh, yeah, for I'm sure. I'm not saying every 30-year-old yeah. <laughs> loves her. Just saying it's that generation. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. George is going to cancel me for talking about her generation. Yeah. <laughs> I think we're part of the same generation. But we'll, I think we'll, we are. we'll yeah. put the cancellation no, thing, though, as your point on the, the docket for the future um, and maybe make it sound somewhat nicer, I guess, for a fitness uh, podcast. But, yeah, because it has changed. Um, and so uh, I think it, I think it's very important. I think it's an important. Should have covered Musk on this radar. Well, that ties lot, in. A lot going on there. Probably ties, <laughs> ties into a lot of stuff. So, yeah, 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 for sure. Yeah. He's uh he's not making the moves a lot of people thought he was going to yeah. immediately make. Uh-huh, so, yeah. yeah, it's interesting. All right. Let's dig into the, uh, the episode. All righty. Want to learn more about the Live a Larger Life show? Visit livealargerlifeshow.com to learn more about our mission, meet our hosts, browse past episodes, and more. All right, James, give us a quick synopsis of what does cradle to grave mean relative to fitness movement expression? Uh, yeah, cradle to grave, uh, well, it's, it's giving, uh, I guess, a framework to ages. So it's just another fancy way, you know, womb to tomb, cradle to grave, you know, et cetera, um, of, of this timeline, you know, to be more precise with it we wanted to discuss, you know, uh, 3 to 83. And I just give those because it at least allows people to recognize, oh, we're actually talking about particular years, you know, possibly out of diapers, possibly standing, you know, and then uh, possibly back in diapers and possibly not standing. Anyways, so the, the whole big thing. Um, and it's been a, it's been a, um, a, a, piece of, a piece of my work, quote unquote, for the past many, many years. Uh, to kind of look at look at the whole thing and look at how people move and uh, how people behave and how people fuel themselves through the whole thing right i just I'll, i've as i've aged and gained more experience i've found that tremendously fascinating inside of what i found inside of there was also of course uh, a lot of darker aspects of uh you know developmental issues and how uh, scaffolding plays a role in that ultimate thing being the best, you know, 
So alongside of being a great North Star concept, there's also some issues. But uh, furthermore, what we're going to discuss today is how I just language different sections. And we call it grow, uh, peak, or resist. And uh, I, I basically just created that language of seeing some particular characteristics of each areas that were different than others. So it's, then it's easy to say, okay, well, what differenti differentiates these, not within a couple of days, but over stretches of time. And uh, so grow would be, you know, um, I, I, I use a biological developmental model based upon it um, and a finite human model based upon it. Obviously, it doesn't go past 83 years, um, although we probably may want to think about what, what that looks like in a non-life -li sense. Anyhow. We're like 84. Um, yeah, I'm sorry, like, I'm outside of the framework. <laughs> <laughs> that could take me down. <laughs> I'm in metaverse. I'm in the metaverse. That's, a, that's an extra book. Um, so, yeah, so growing would be uh, zero or sorry, three to 25. Uh, and I use that just as ages because uh, um, I like to use the developmental brain model as a, as a concept of like, you know, growing. What does growing mean? Because a lot of people think that, well, don't you stop growing at like, you know, end of the reproductive period? Well, no, you still actually do in multiple different actually organ systems as well as your brain continue to grow. And uh, there's lots of research and scientific data show that. So it's around 25. And then, you know, at the, we call it peaking, you know, because that's, uh, that's when you have, you know, you've learned all these things and you've downloaded all this stuff and you're ready to make babies, um, even if you don't want to, um, you know, you know, life at that point in time is you're at the, you're at the top end, right? That's why we call it peaking. You know, you got, what do we, what do we use the term? Piss, full of piss and vinegar, right? You, you know, I, I can do that. I can recover from that. I can do that on the weekend. And I can do that Monday morning. So you have all this, all this stuff. Uh, but then over time, you don't have all this stuff. <laughs> so it's, uh, it, that's why it is called a peak, because with every peak, there's also a downside or the second, ask, the second side of the mountain, right? Um, and that's what we call resist. And that's from 40 to 83 in the terms we call it for uh, our language. And uh, that's when, you know... Um, you're not uh, making improvements, you know, in, in biological things. And uh, your cells are dying off at a faster rate. And uh, you're getting shorter. Um, you're getting weaker. Um, and uh, the, end, the end is more near, you know. So uh, that you can see how that changes up that, you know, area with the other two. So that was more than two minutes, but... I hope that starts us off on a, a starting point to characterize these three areas. Yeah. F in fitness, people don't often like talking about the end, right? The, it's not popular yeah. to talk about death, grave, tomb. All of these words are mm. not often thrown around in the sunshine and rainbows of fitness and health and vitality. Uh, but it's something that like being exposed to OPEX over the years, we don't really shy away from. You've never shied away from, James. Uh, I remember, you know, the you'll one day die, get over it and, and get living. And this idea of cradle to grave uh, as encompassing what, what we do and uh, the reason why we move. Um, I'm curious to know why death is kind of omnipresent in that conversation for you. Uh, yeah, well, it, it is personal to me because... Uh, when I was 13, I lost someone really close to me and I had an existential moment around, you know, belief and faith and, you know, the whole thing at 13. And again, a seminal point in my life at 18 around purpose and identity and et cetera. Um, and those things just made me consistently think about, you know, the whole process, right? Um, on those same line of thinking, though, I think the wonderful thing around that conversation, it actually pulls, let's call it believers and non-believers together 
that that's my point of view is because the concept of death or the conversation of death regardless of belief in an afterlife is a is a wonderful human experience and conversation to have so that's that that's why i really love it and that's why i like to focus on it right um because uh there's a lot of uncertainty and that's the one thing that brings you know everyone together in that conversation so that's why i think it's not only personal but why i really enjoy it because it keeps everyone together on this conversation of like, well, what are we going to do about it? You know, which is like, well, just live the largest life you possibly can, <laughs> you know? And if you want to squabble on the side in a room around, you know, the afterlife or living and purpose and why we all do those things, I think that's a great conversation too. So I don't, that's probably why. I don't know if I've ever heard that perspective. Um, beauty around death. Well, it's only mine. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but no, you said like the sharing of beauty mm. around death. Like what is the, what is the beauty that comes with death? in your eyes? Uh, silence, no pain, no anguish, no experience, nothingness. Yeah, so nothingness can be extremely beautiful. First time I've heard that, mm. For, like, from that perspective. Mm -hmm. um, three to 83, so there's this framework of growing, peaking, and resisting. Um, what would you say is like the point over all three of those? Like, what's the, what's the point to have this framework? Oh, yeah. Like, what's the, what's the goal of it? Yeah, yeah. Well, that certainly sets the stage for where we come in and what we're going to talk about. Um, it's to give everyone, regardless of where they sit in it, an idea on truths of what they're capable of doing and, uh, you know, possibly how much improvements there are to be made and also a north star and a path to look at. Um, and you know, let's just pretend I stopped there. <laughs> I think that would be the answer. Mm -hmm. But let's let's continue with like examples we talk about and we talked about at the uh, summit, um, which I'll I'll include everyone in the conversation here. But what I see a lot happening today is individuals who did not have the proper scaffolding of the let's call it the North Star curve, the perfect curve in growing development, and then they try to overreach when they're peaking. So I, I think you know we've been. Uh, really just kicking the shit out of a whole bunch of 25 to 40 year olds for 20 years with a high intensity model and they've been overreaching and I, I think that results in big time long-term cognitive and metabolic dysfunction that we won't see for another 20 30 years um, but that that's the point of this whole conversation is like well oh so what you're saying is that a whole ton of people didn't have the proper pathway in the growing phase and then they tried to make up with it when they had all this piss and vinegar right? Just to show off on Instagram or to, you know, feel more loved because people are scared to death to see that they have demons calling themselves fat or something, right? Um, and, uh, and then it's causing just a whole bunch of turmoil. So that, that's the secondary point on why it's nice to have, oh, interesting, you know, at, at 16, I probably should be around here at, at tw you know, 30. Yeah, I should be, you know, it's good to have those, I think, anyways. Yeah, I think so that's, that's why the, the, yeah, I think that's the beauty with developmental models is it, it gives you, I don't want to call it a roadmap, but kind of a roadmap of like, you know, I'm here. Here are the things developmentally I should be focusing on. Here's the way I should feel. I should be able to express these things really well. I shouldn't be able to express these other things. And it kind of brings reality in living inside of that framework. And if you are in like the growth phase and you're like 23 or 24 years old, it gives you something to look forward to. If you're in that resist phase yeah. of like 45 to 50 years old, you're like, I understand what's behind me mm -hmm. and I know what this thing looks like going forward to kind of keep this, uh, to keep this curve 
as uh, as as uh, straightforward as possible so i'm not falling down the side of that mountain so i think that that's i've always been really intrigued with developmental models is it kind of like puts it in front of you and it gives you a little bit of a roadmap to play with then i yeah. also think it gives you some uh reflection and opportunity to like think about paying it forward right uh, because you can look at your children or the youth in your life and kind of like also how do, how do I do it better mm-hmm. if I didn't do it for myself? Yeah, yeah, for sure. I love that aspect you picked up on it. Um, I also thought about the 50 to 60-year-olds and why your point you made is also should be, I, I should second it um, or double-click on it, is that uh, it makes those individuals recognize that there's no nihilism in recognize you're not going to get better, mm-hmm. right? Because those 50 to 60-year-olds really think they still can be the 20-year-old athlete. And what this model says is, no, you can't be, but but then there's these things that you still can improve upon. It's just not on the graph. Like, you're just seeing this as being non-improvement, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. And that's not. It's, you, uh, so. you said it in the Pinker quote earlier, too, right? The ex- yeah. expectations driving perception. Mm-hmm. Or I, yeah, that's right. Was that the, yep. that the phrasing? Yep. That, that's it's it. hard to forget when <laughs> yeah. you hear that. Yeah, when you're, you know, 65-year-old male coming to work with a coach for the first time and you want to put on muscle and that coach tells you, well, that might not be a realistic goal for us right now. If you have the perception of this grow, peak, and resist model, Mm -hmm. you're going to be able to, you know, swallow that pill a little bit better. Yeah, yeah, you weren't directly saying it, but I've answered this question in CCP on a weekend course a thousand times, and it's always the question which you weren't indirectly asking, but so what happens when someone starts at 60, should you just tell them there's no room for improvement? And you see, that's that's where everyone goes, right? Because there's all these societal pressures on what to expect because everyone thinks that fitness is all the same thing, right? Gain muscle, lose fat, you know, get the girl, don't get sand kicked in your face. Like everyone really still believes that's the that's the thing. And we're essentially telling them, yeah, this doesn't make you a better person. Who told you that, you know? And that's, a, in my point, I, I love that about this model because it just makes people say that, no, you gotta do this for different reasons, man. Right, you gotta do this, so, so see this here? You're, you're, you're not going like that, you're going like that. Do you see that? So if that person can't get inspired, the 60 year old, right, can't get inspired, I'm like, it just takes a conversation, <laughs> you know? Or maybe some psychological counseling. Yeah, let's take a step back and hit on the, um, the growth piece of this. Um, what's happening inside of that uh, relative to movement? I know it's a big range, yeah. right? Three well, to twenty-five years old. What's, yeah, like kind of what's what's that ascent to get to to get ready for that? that yeah. Peak, that well, peak? I'll try to be I'll try to be precise on it. Um, you want to think that uh, these these uh, young movers are actually uh, are very dynamic in their learning process and things that they're downloading and learning for the whole time. So think about that. So what would you do in movement for people that are still growing their brain? Um, and moving through this whole process of time. It was my words that I used on a previous podcast, or maybe it was on our, our podcast or on the monologue. Just leave them alone, right? You, you just have to basically put them in opportunities for physical challenges based upon their capabilities and express a tremendous amount of variety um, and things that they really enjoy about the movement process. So I know that sounds really simple, but that is different than what you do for peaking or resisting uh, entropy and the resist phase. So for movement, it's pretty much, um, you know, ultimately uh, lots of variation, 
lots of love for the concept of wanting to fall in love with uh, doing physical challenges because it affects them and because they can actually get better at that particular skill or a bunch of different skills. Um, and just allowing that person, that young person to express themselves and see that, you know, by falling in love with expression, it can be time stamped and stick with them for the rest of their life. So that's what's important for movement at that phase. Was I clear? Yeah, on yeah, that? yeah, okay. it was. Yeah, the interesting part of that, because I know we're covering such a large range, three to 25, but um, just the thought of, you know, what is what is enough, right? What is yeah. enough movement for a three, 10, 12 year old? Because what we see play out in reality is if you miss those movement opportunities early, it's really, really challenging to then learn when you're 16, 17, 18 years mm -hmm. old. Um, just thoughts on, I guess, just for the room, thoughts on um, what movement, like what are, the, what are the intentions in movement? Let's call it 3 to 13. Like what are intentions in movement? Because when you said, um, I'll give my two cents and I'll pass it. Because when you said, uh, just do it, right? Like just, just do a lot of reps and a lot of variation like that. You know, I'm, I'm thinking that 3 to 13, it's like that is so much more important in my opinion, than the 14 to 25 year old, because if you miss that, I don't know if you can get it back at 16 years old, if you hadn't done it from the, for the previous 15 years. So just thoughts around, uh, let's just break them in half, right? Um, the three to three to 13 and then, and then beyond that, what are differences that are, that are taking place in movement or what's most important for the, for that younger group, right? You want them to have positive ideas around what movement looks like and have good experiences that they that then form how they go into their later their later growing years thinking about movement uh, so lots of play lots of fun lots of games things that really have them associate the idea of moving with enjoyment the idea of moving with being outdoors and exploring and adventuring that's what comes to mind for me for that group what do you guys think if you guys have any thoughts on it. I, it just makes me really bummed out when I think about where we are right now and how little that's happening in that age group. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think the uh, um, your question of enough is a good one. Um, again, if, if, I, you know, if I turned the growth conversation into a 30-minute conversation, I probably would cover like each specific area and the changes yeah. around that, yeah, but yeah. it's a good one. It's a good one, good subheading. Um, but you know, enough or the answer to the question of what's enough is the same. It is ironically, though, a same across the board for everyone. It's whatever allows you to conti continue moving towards that constant flirt, you know, towards your max potential. So uh, but the thing is, the only thing that I think that's the caveat, though, and I think that's what you're picking up on there in the differences between, let's say, 13 and 14, 15, 16 is uh, supervision and the brain's awareness of abstract, you know, big, complex topics. Right. So I would agree with you up to a certain point in time. That's where I think uh, and I know you probably are, are, you know, you know, we're probably having it in our home. You're probably having it in your work that you do. Um, there has to be supervision and role modeling. And, and, and uh, I just call it like a <laughs> an intelligent adult in the room. Mm -hmm. Right. Who's going to who's going to not just to your point, bring them out of nature and get them to lift rocks and walk in the sun. But it's going to have some conversations around, oh, I noticed Georgia drinks water and she doesn't drink fizzy drinks or Pepsi. You know, so it's like is, is this is this role modeling that has to occur. And you can do my, you know, product placement, uh, learn our course on physical activity for youth to get into those all those things that are feeding them. But uh, you do raise a good point on the, you know, breaking it apart and the differences in yeah. that. Because we could say, like, think about 18 to 25 years of age, mm -hmm. right? Like, 
you really think that you're at your top physical peak, but you're not. So there is an interesting conversation in there, right? Um, I, I thought you were going to go the route in terms of like uh, public policy, like you were saying, or, you know, um, let's not go down the sport route. But there's, there's, I think, I think we could, if we could all agree, maybe I'm just looking for a consensus on it, you know, variety of physical expression is, th is the big one. Like just get, just fall in love with a whole ton of variety of physical expression, right? And the more and more you get that centered into only doing one thing, you're, it's going to probably get you into trouble. Yeah, I, th I think uh, just the idea of like quantity over quality is really important in the formative years. Yeah. Um, I think, you know, for coaches listening, yep. if they work with young kids, I think that we go down this rabbit hole of like, we need to all have perfect movement. Yeah. And if you understand kids and, you know, how kids develop and grow, that's just not possible for a lot of kids during that growth phase. Mm -hmm. Instead, it's just like, just be okay with a lot of quantity and like, you, you know, be the adult in the room, but let them figure it out. Yeah. Right. Quantity over quality is a big one that, that stands out to me. Uh, one question before we move on movement, before we move away from movement in this phase, what is, what is your advice for a parent to get their kid moving that is independent of sport? Because I think that's what a lot of parents mm -hmm. fall back on. And I've, I've fallen back on that a few times and I like check myself on yeah. it where it's like, it doesn't have to be sport. It doesn't have to be organized. It doesn't have to yeah. be this. What are really good opportunities that you found? I have a, I have a few in my head, but what are some good yeah. opportunities? Well, I actually think it's impossible um, uh, I think that young sport is still uh, a physical sacrifice and I think that it's an option today, right? So I start there, but then I'll just be, use my own personal examples of my daughters based upon that. And I think that in modern times, the only way that you're going to be able to work your way around that is to have an intelligent adult know the concept of variety of movement and uh and give them you know knowledge and of accessibility to things that could strengthen themselves in multiple different varieties but also it's the conversations with hannah and chloe on the intentions of what's inside that particular sport so um what i mean by that is that you know we and i'll just leave it lightly uh is that they still recognize that they're just out you know running around on a grass pitch in the sun with their friends or just hitting a green ball back and forth, you know, and then shaking hands with the person or developing a relationship with the other person on the other side of the net. Do you see that? I'm not calling it a tennis tournament in Tucson on the weekend. Do you see that? So what does that take in order to get there? I think it takes uh, an adult who knows about these things to recognize that this is just like a, an option that's available to today to give young people an experience of moving forward. But don't forget that I started with, I don't think that's actually possible in yeah. the majority of adults with their young kids in sport today? Yeah, I asked that question just because 1% of the population continues to play sport after the age of 18. So if we're building uh, movement practices around sport, even if that kid is moving mm -hmm. right up until being 18, they're going to be the quote-unquote washed-up high school athlete that doesn't move and gets gets fat mm -hmm. and uh, unhealthy yeah. when, they're, when they're 35. Yeah. Warning. Um, <laughs> They get fat, yeah. F-A-T. Yeah. Uh, they get fat and out of shape, and then they're in front of a trainer when they're 40 and mm -hmm. saying, you know, I used to do this when I was 17 years old. I was a great swimmer, yeah. this or that. So that's why I think yeah. it's really important to find those opportunities outside of sport at a very, very young age. So whether that's hiking with family, yeah, whether sure. that's, you know, taking the dog for a walk and, and doing fun games and, like, running and, and walking and running and walking or going to a pool and swimming for fun or going to this place and climbing a rock or just, like, opportunities like that to move. And I'm not saying, like, everyone should stop doing sports, but I think we need to figure out 
I think we need to figure out what those things are, right, for kids and allow our kids to be exposed to those. Because I, I just think it's we're, we're, we're going down the, a really bad route if the only physical activity is sport. Even if they continue to play that sport, they're going to stop playing that sport. 99% of us stop playing sports mm-hmm. at 18. Yeah. So um, that, that was more the question. Yeah, like, I am the 1%, and my <laughs> daughters will be the 1%. I recognize that. Um, I, I still don't think that it's actually possible um, I think that the accessibility and like what to do is actually quite easy and we could, you know, discuss that at length another time. But um, I think the issue is the social pressures and the lack of adult adult uh, intellect of fitness. That's what I think is an issue. So I just really don't think that for the next 100 years, you're going to get anything more than 1% after 18 years of age going on to falling in love with exercise mm-hmm. for the rest of their life because it's for them and it's because they can. I really don't think it's going to, it's going to occur. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but if it like, like purist, you know, purist, um, if you're a parent out there or you want to start doing that, um, I could tell you, you know, that, uh, first of all, try to become autonomous in your own training. Um, you know, eat real food, um, make the household, you know, fall in love with this concept of knowledge and, and communication and open relationships and love and security, et cetera. And then role model it, right? Role model it. Um, and then, you know, you can come and talk to me and I can consult you about it when uh, the, uh, the local soccer program starts preying on your child because they saw that uh, they could do, you know, more things across the rings or because that's how uh, Hannah started in tennis is at the local playground. Coach Tony, tennis coach Tony, um, just saw her like playing at the playground. It's like, oh, you guys come on over, you know, it's, it's like so. No, it, I know it sounds creepy. It's not. I mean, it's turned out, you know. Again, I, I, I'm lucky that I've had these conversations, you know, with my daughters about this. Um, and, uh, you know, if I could turn back time, by all means, I would pull, I'd go on a commune and just fucking find salmon and climb trees and lift rocks. But they would have some unhappy lives. Yeah. yeah I Maybe. Think, I think you just have to, you have to make it a conversation, right? Like physical expression outside of sport. I think you have to make that a conversation. For like sure. always. It's just a part of the, com- the daily conversation. For sure. Um, you know, yeah. and when they go to uh, a friend's house and their families aren't talking about it, yeah. they think it's weird. You're hitting mm-hmm. a good point there that I think people could use as language. Let's just, it, it's just, it's an opportunity for you to physically express yourself. That's how I say it. That's all it is. It's nothing more than that, mm-hmm. you know? But it's like, oh, it's going to get me a D1 thing, or oh, my friends are really going to like me because I'm capable of doing that. It's like, no, that's not it. That's not it, right? Mm-hmm. You're just, it's just a physical expression, right? And we all have the ability to do it. You just uniquely can throw a ball forty yards, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? but and it's still a physical expression, dude. That's mm-hmm. tough. That's oh, tough because I'm the the adult in the room <laughs> is actually usually yeah. That's what I'm one, saying. That's what I'm saying. D one scholarship. Yeah, that's the what parents I'm of other kids are going to think my kid is the best. Yeah. I'm mm-hmm. going to be higher so, on the totem pole. So that's why it's not possible. <laughs> but anyways, we're we discussing need, it. We need more adults in the room. Okay. Um, anything in uh, nutrition? What does nutrition look like for the individual that's growing? I'll just stop talking for a bit, maybe get some input on what others think around maybe your own personal stories of like the scaffolding maybe of nutrition for, for growing. I actually think it's very similar similar to the conversation that we just had with uh, physical expression and you said it, right? It's like eat real food, right? Know what real food is, know what a, uh, let's call it a balanced diet, know what kinds of foods you should be eating, know how foods should make you feel know how it feels when you eat foods that you're not used to eating that are not real foods and good foods. Notice how those things make you feel. 
um, understand uh, when you feel the best when you eat, understand when you don't eat and you go do physical activity, how does that make you feel? Understand um, when you don't hydrate yourself enough, how that makes you feel, how you can't really focus in school, how you lack energy in school. So I think it's actually just building conversations. Just I, I know I said it, just make it, uh, make it a, a consistent conversation in the home. Um, I think the conversation needs to be the exact same around around food or the idea of that conversation needs to be the same and also uh, i think it's dangerous dangerous if we start demonizing food even mm -hmm. quote unquote bad food uh, if we start demonizing that so i, I think we can build some uh, some bad behaviors in, in young kids and very similar to the variety aspect in movement just mm -hmm. yeah exposure and lots of variety yeah and i think there is actually a lot of similarities across the board on this particular one that i'm glad you touched on uh, but again it's a nice way to approach it just thinking that their brains are not fully developed and we also got to remember we're actually, you know, forgetting that the, we're, we're classifying the four-year-old and a 19-year-old brain as the same here. <laughs> but let's just... Let's well, just sometimes. <laughs> hey, that's true. But, uh, you know, um, you know th that's what we're saying here. But just remember that um, I think the point you hit on that we can remember with regards to fuel is building a repertoire of intuitions, right? Intuition around uh, what is this for and why am I doing it, right? Um, and I think that is going to be uh, um, the, the base support. And if we were to pick, uh, pick a particular time, I think that's prior to uh, puberty. It's got to be done prior to puberty. And that has to be done through role modeling and conversation and questions and et cetera. And what also has to be in the conversation, and just take it from me personally because I had to do this and I'm still like working with it, working my daughters uh, through it, is that... Um, the, the conversation I have all the time around the minority social opinion on food, food selection, food choicing, behaviors, et cetera, right? So what I mean by that is that by age 12, you know, I made them recognize, regardless if, if my point that I'm going to make is true or not, you know, out of 20 friends that you have, you're the only one that's going to choose broccoli at lunch, right? That, qu that conversation has to be had. And then more on that, like, well, why are we choosing it? It's due, due to mental acuity. And it's due to these things, you know, and uh, it's got nothing to do with bad or good to your point mm -hmm. and behaviors around it, but uh, they have to know that. So then if they can come back, I always give the story of, you know, Hannah coming back, you know, many years ago from a sleepover and just being like, oh, we had this, you know, and this is why I feel that way. It's like, that's great. You know, I'm glad you recognize that this is how, you know, so what happens if you want to do this today and what happens if, you know, it's not a drilling, but it's like. You know, now you're not going to be capable of doing these things. Do you, are you connecting the feedback? And they're like, yeah, I connect the feedback. And that's, that's, it has to be an openness for that conversation, right? But it has to be preempted with that, right? Uh, I actually think it's probably even younger because goldfish crackers showed up when they were like six. <laughs> and I was like, oh, man, I got to discuss this now, you know? But I, see, I st still see it happening like the soccer coach of this, like, celebrated local club. And, I, yeah, I'll, put, I'll throw them under the boat. It's RSL. Uh, they gave out Mountain Dew after the last game. I know, just think <laughs> how funny but disgusting that is, right? This is uh, soccer. So this is where this is where the whole irky sport, young people yeah, thing, yeah. like it's... Yeah, we, uh, oof. every Tuesday, um, Colton, our 11-year-old, they have uh, film. So they go to Coach's house, watch about two hours of film from the previous day. And it's like you, you see like what's on the, the menu for film. It's just like Costco pizza, Mountain Dew, Pepsi, ice cream, gummy bears. And it's like, maybe not, right? Maybe not. And then it's like you have to have that conversation. And it's like, hey, it's probably not a great idea 
took over there, crushed pizza and Mountain Dew and, uh, and sit and, and watch film yeah. after Mountain Dew. Yeah. <laughs> Don't so, you want to lick cross country ski a loppet or something <laughs> after Mountain Dew? But, uh, yeah, the, the modeling thing still plays here. Right. But it gets interesting with nutrition because a lot of adults, and I know it's like, you gotta, you gotta be autonomous in your own, in your own journey, right. And in, in your own practices. But a lot of adults have such crappy eating behaviors. Um, and when I say crappy, I don't mean they're eating the pizza and the Mountain Dew, but uh, disordered eating mm-hmm. behaviors, right? Where mm-hmm. it's just like, none of this, none of that. This is bad. This is good. Yeah. So you got to tell my child I don't do this, but in the closet, I'm doing this. Yeah. <laughs> so the modeling idea, right? That mm-hmm. gets really yeah. adult in the room to use your language. That gets really weird mm-hmm. um, when you yeah, have adults the... that, that don't do it themselves. Yeah. And kids are learning from that adult. Mm-hmm. That's, uh, that's, yeah, gosh, how do you solve but that's that? That's why I like the point you made on the similarities because everyone in the room is going to eat real food. That's mm-hmm. the thing, right? So that's what binds everyone together there, right? So there's no like, and if there's room for airing outside of that, then that particular person has to make an explanation as to why that's outside of like the quote unquote house rules or the values that we want to provide and why we're doing what we're doing. Yeah. I'll add one piece that I think should happen in this nutrition phase uh, for growers. And I know what she's going to say. You know what it is because I say it so cooking. much. Cooking. cooking. I was waiting nice. for you to say yeah, that. I agree yeah. with that. The knowledge of it. I love yeah. that. Yeah. yeah, but that's like intuition that you just, it's so much harder to pick up later in life. Like yeah. knife skills, what flavors go with what. Awesome. You solve yourself a lot of problems down yeah. the road if you learn to do that as a kid. Yeah, yeah I love that. Personal responsibility inside of it. Fantastic. Yeah. I can't believe we skipped over that. Cook your own after. eggs. We did that with Colton a few years ago. Yeah, Cook your fun. own eggs couple burnt pans we figured out so yeah <laughs> yeah i love that thank you um learning learning a lot of learning, learning. for yeah, we're only learning. on grow here yeah, a lot are of we learning. gonna just top it at grow for yeah, today yeah maybe we just maybe we just this hit. peaking is what's it yeah let's uh peakers are i just love your peakers are figure it out about the peakers figure it out sorry i love what? your beautiful thought at the end on resist so we definitely have oh, to okay yeah for sure for sure yeah learning for grow what, what's happening inside of learning Higher frequency or highest frequency, right? Yeah. Learning all day long. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, th- I think of it as a, uh, a young brain as a sponge. That's the way I see it. That's mm-hmm. uh, not super wet. Another uh, kind of helps, but it's, there's just so much to just be downloaded. Just Just the moist. So much. Be- but back to your point on the physical expression thing that does tie into this, the way I explain it to the public generally, and you talked about it in, uh, in our physiological terms, it's they actually can't express fully, mm-hmm. right? That's why you're saying quantity over quality yeah. right mm-hmm. but let me explain that to the public is that they they have this opportunity to shine a really bright light ro- bu- light bulb mm-hmm. right and the, the bulb can be like 400 watts like super bright kind of like these lights are in the room here and uh, but they they can't do that you know when they're 10 that's mm-hmm. a, that's a such an interesting thing to think about they could try as hard as they want but that light bulb will not burn that bright so that, that's what I think about for the learning thing is that you want to you wanna get as much energy and all these things inside of that so that that light bulb can burn as bright as possible for as long as possible. And that's the way I think of learning is cr- and crosses yeah. lines with movement. Yeah. Yeah, just this thought of And like there's so many things, not to be on your point earlier, but there's so many things that get in the way right now from young kids from learning with regards to information overload and attention and uh, stimulation, arousal, et cetera. Yeah. There's this interesting phase um, inside of this uh, inside of this framework, where these kids are learning to read so they can read to learn. Right? Um, that's just such an interesting. Mm-hmm. That's crazy. That's it's an interesting thing that happens around like the. I mean, 
some kids it's like five or six years old, mm-hmm. uh, four to six years old. But we're starting to see that being pushed to the right a little bit. Mm-hmm. So like the whole learning concept, um, that things as, as kids take longer to learn to read, um, and we start thinking about development, development that's happening in learning, and they can't read to learn. They're just like spending all of this time learning to read. Um, that's an interesting thing that mm-hmm. I've been thinking about the past uh, past few months inside of this phase. Um, so that that occurs here. But mm-hmm. you know, uh, you know, I know there's other methods of learning outside of reading, right? Yeah. But I, <laughs> I think we would all agree that reading is still the baseline. Like you need to know how to read, and you need to yeah. ha- know how to read really, really well mm-hmm. um, to really grasp ideas. Um, so that's, that's just an interesting thought inside of this phase that's occurring yeah. very early on. Yeah. Uh, listen to John McWhorter talk about that particular topic mm. is really good because he breaks down the actual mechanics of the differences that are being proposed inside of education today for reading yeah. and what he thinks should be done that results in better. Uh, but also remember on our show before it's, it's not only reading, it's the amount of words that the young brain hears, uh, an actual, an actual number, mm-hmm. right. By a certain age that goes along with that, that certainly helps like you know, accelerate it future forward. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Uh, let's talk and about just, I know we're going to move on. Are we moving on? Yeah. I was going to go to peaking. Yeah. But man, uh, just, let's just say it. Like there's, there's so much, you know, in growing. Yeah. Right. There's so much. Yeah, We've yeah. only just like dabble in a couple of areas. I hope mm-hmm. l- viewers and listeners just got to appreciate, like we only touched on, you know, we could actually write a book on 17 year olds, yeah. you know, with regards to learning movement and nutrition, mm-hmm. honestly. So just to give you an idea. Yeah. Let's go to your favorite. <laughs> Talk about peaking. I don't know why he's I not in peaking anymore. That's right. That's yeah, right. He got past actually, it. He was like, F those yeah, guys. I'm I not, it's not that I seem, I seem ignorant to it. It's, uh, you know, my best days are gone, uh, are gone past. No, I appreciate the, I appreciate all the good shit that happens inside of peaking. Yeah. I think the only thing to add to this that, so we, we don't skip over peaking, uh, but we kind of do is I, I just, uh, really think that um, it's the it's the lack of scaffolding of the previous phase that causes most of the issues inside of this particular expression. Yeah, that's what I think um, goes on. So when you the, ever, whenever you see overreaching in peaking, mm-hmm. it's got to do with a lack of uh, proper scaffolding and developmental of specific habits and principles in growing. Uh, when you see, you know, underdevelopment, it could be because they just never had access to that during those particular phases, or it could have been overreaching during growing. Um, so any of the dysfunctions that happen in peaking, when all of your quote unquote systems are supposed to be up to par, um, is generally occurring due to the previous phase. That's what I love about the whole thing combining together. Yeah. I know you want to kind of skip over peaking a little bit, but I'm really, I'm I'm, I'm interested to hear your thoughts of like, um, and you can you can put them all together, and then we can continue the conversation um, and and take the peaking as long as we want to, uh, mm-hmm. maybe a couple minutes. Um, what is what is what does peaking look like? Let's say the scaffolding is there. Yeah. Um, this individual went through the grow phase appropriately, yep. um, and expression is there. Like what what does true peaking look like? Not and and let's stay away from like, uh, and I know you will, but let's stay away from like actually getting to uh, peak physical potential because mm-hmm. I don't think we're going to talk about that necessarily. We're no, just going to talk not about in the words. But yeah. What is, what is like, what is a day to day 
what does day-to-day look like for someone that's inside of this that does have the scaffolding? Yeah, so if they do have the scaffolding, it is, I'm trying to find another way to use the words that you're telling me I shouldn't use, but it's you are actually able to maintain and sustain your highest ever in your lifetime peak physical expression and consistency around that, right? So, you know, this, this will kind of hit, you know, so you will, you know, deadlift 2.3 times your body weight on Tuesday, and then you can do it again on Saturday, and you can do it again next, next Tuesday, and you, you, know, you can do that for five, seven, nine, 12 years, right? Uh, you could, you know, run for two hours straight, you could run then for three hours straight, and then you could go for a jog for two hours straight. So I'm only giving like really simple examples of the two things, yep. the bipolar examples. But, um, but I think inside that story, it's good to listen to that I wrote down. It's the other thing that I think people have a hard time dealing with here is they think, especially in modern times, especially with the digital world and our perceptions of what we're supposed to do in society, we think this should be really sexy, really entertaining, and shared with everyone. And so for to tell people, no, you just need to walk and do some weight training and don't tell anyone about it, that seems really mediocre with regards to this particular age group. So I think that's a real big problem. It's almost as big as the problem of trying to invoke the intentions inside the 99% of the sport athletes that'll be like, listen, just back off a tiny bit, you know, and you'll be able to live the rest of your life without uh, knee problems. Yeah. In terms of physical expression, then, um, something that I take out of this. But did I answer the question on the physical? Yeah, you did. Was it clear? Okay. Um, what I take out of it is you're as, you're as fit as you will ever be, ever will be, but not as fit as you ever can be. Yeah. If yeah. That, right. Yeah, so, for sure. Yeah. So your, yeah, your peak physical potential, but not your absolute maximum physical well, potential. Yeah. That's a, that's, that's a that's good possible. Philo- that's a good philosophical conversation. It is because uh, I think if we think, I think we have to, I think we have to be clear on that because if yeah. we, if we use yeah. the, if we use the language, Max. your absolute maximum physical potential, that's where what happens yeah. overreaching. And yeah. it's like, Go for sure. Two days, three for days, sure. this, this, you know what I mean? Yeah. So it's like, hey, just be good with you being as fit as you ever have yeah. been. And in this phase, you'll reach a point where you're going to be as fit as you ever will be. Yeah. But that doesn't mean you're as fit as you possibly can be. Yeah. That's where I use the word that it's the phase is 15 years long and volume dictates pace. Mm-hmm. Right. So mm-hmm. if you, you can. So that's why it's a good philosophical argument because someone actually, you know, it's hard to measure, but <laughs> they could be like flirting so much. But if they can flirt perceptively so much for 15 years, it actually is. Do you see what I'm saying? So yeah, yeah. it's a good, yeah, it's a we good We just need to develop like a, a blood test where it's like, <laughs> take, take this blood, put it in this I'm at my dish, peak. And just be like, just this like digital thing pops up and it's like, here's your absolute maximum physical potential. Here's yeah. where you are right now. It's okay yeah. if you stay here for because no, who knows what yeah. their maximum physical potential no. really is. You this, don't know unless you no, overreach but, and try to get there. Oh, for sure. This, but this is this is why we're talking about these because to give people a north star idea on is it possible that what I did it takes me three days to recover from? I don't think that's what James was talking about. Yeah. With you know what I'm saying, mm-hmm. like it 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 makes them go back and say, oh gee, you know when I'm 70, what I do right now that actually does matter. So if someone questions that, then yeah, I think it's good to have either subjective or real data that yeah. shows them like how close they are to it. That's the beautiful thing around consistency though in exercise, that if those habits are scaffolded, uh, like you asked me, if someone's scaffolded, what's their max peak? I actually 
you know, I, I have no problems with these people because we keep forgetting that if people have learned to be consistent up to 25, <laughs> they don't yeah. they don't need any guidance here. Yeah. They're just lifting rocks and running. Yeah. What about the know? person that's 36 years old and this person was as fit as they ever would have that as fit as they ever will be mm. um, at 28? Mm. Right, and they, they sit inside. <laughs> yeah, asking for a friend. <laughs> asking for a friend. No, so but they sit inside of this uh, this 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 peak framework. Right. Um, what are your thoughts? So Philosoph- the philosoph- 20... philosophical again. What are your thoughts on the individual that is already going downhill? There mm. are like, I want to yeah. ask it the right way. What are your thoughts on someone? Don't be overreaching? afraid. You said fat earlier, bro. <laughs> <laughs> what are your thoughts on someone overreaching so early that they put themselves in the resisting phase mm. earlier than forty? Yeah, for sure. Um, well, I think just what you—the questioning and the awareness—is the greatest thing. Mm-hmm. So if you can partner up with someone who can speak about it, you know, like we can, or you want to even have those discussions with people, I think that awareness in itself is the starting point. Yeah. Just so you don't lie and deceive yourself, right? And you, don't, you can't get away with that because uh, guaranteed there's a shit ton of money and a bunch of people who will prey on you to make you think you can be the 28-year-old yeah. again, right? There's lots of money to be made on that, but that's just physical sacrifice and dependency. Mm-hmm. So I think conversation would certainly help it. Um, and then the steps to that would be, you know, the technical aspects of saying, you know what, this is what happened at 28, you know, <laughs> that was pretty damn cool. You know, you want to watch some videos, you know, 315 touch and go power cleans. That was awesome. Uh, but, you know, that may have, you know, based upon how we describe this, that may have pulled this down a little quick. So here's where we are. And this is what we're going to try to do. The end curve most times, if you were to keep pushing this really hard is going to go like that. But we're going to try to like flatline this sucker for as long as possible. That's what I would try to invoke in a conversation. Yeah, talking about like developmental models. That's very models. easily said. Yeah. Very Ch- easily said. Practice. Very challenging. Yeah. If anyone can do practice. it, it's you. I have faith. Oh, I'm good. I'm fine. <laughs> I'm rolling, man. He's aware. I'm, I'm flatlined, baby. eyes open. You're resisting like no other. Right I'm flatlined. That's a t-shirt. I'm flatlined, but like I'm the happiest flatline you've ever seen. Usually you think of like <laughs> That's death. a t-shirt. Death eyes open, flatline. flatline. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's good. Um, I forgot where I was going to go. Um, maybe nutrition and learning. Do you have anything yeah, to s- maybe. say no, about movement to, on peaking? Nothing to add there. Peakies? No, no. no. Would, they, would you call them peakers in Australia? That or sounds peakies? a little rude. I don't know. What would it be? You'd call them peakies. <laughs> sounds like a pervert. Peakers? Yeah, I think a peaky. Yeah, yeah. I love that. Yeah. Peaky. Okay. It gives me a little more hope for the peakies. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, what I was going to say was um, just going back to the idea of the developmental model. Like if you get bought into this idea early – Man, there's some like, imagine being the 28-year-old and being like, man, I'm just completely fine with like, you know, staying down here because I still have 12 years yeah. of this, yeah, of like sure. me getting better. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, that's something that, uh, it hindsight. Yeah, well, it does, it does take some wise individuals and elders around those people, though, to be able to say like, listen, I know this is what you're thinking and I know this is what you'd like to do. But it's like, I just keep thinking about conversations I have with Sam, right? Mm-hmm. So you may, you may even think that he's eye-open and flatline, but it takes someone who's older and experienced just to kind of say, well, there's also these other things that you want to think about, right? And that then creates an awareness of like, oh, you know, just pull back a yeah. tiny bit. And so, so I think it does take not only just looking around at your friends or trying to find the North Star program, what it looks like, it's also having older people who are, again, adults in the room to say, 
you know, just back off a tiny bit. You're doing good, you know, because you want to do these other things Mm -hmm. and get excited around that. Differences, uh, obviously there's a lot of differences in in nutrition and in learning specifically, but what are things that stick out in this this peaking phase compared to the growth phase? Uh, In nutrition and and learning? Yeah, nutrition and learning. Let me take a second. Just anyone else wants to jump in with something you first initially think about, but... uh, the nutrition one, uh, the first thing that came to mind was the fact that uh, people in this peaking phase may have to support uh, babies, mm. having babies, uh, yeah. which they likely wouldn't have done in the growing phase. Yep. Uh, and the nutrition considerations that go into supporting another life. Fantastic. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I haven't had to change my nutrition at all since having babies. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, or even if, uh, well, actually, uh, just um, anyways, uh, <laughs> it, it, it does matter. <laughs> I actually just finished a really dark book on uh, the sperm counts and mm. Uh, environmental toxins and et cetera. But, um, so there's, uh, but I do want to add a little bit more seriousness to your point, right? I know where it's coming from more serious to the point. There's two people involved in that process. Um, and I love your, your point on it that I still think, you know, which we're in a consensus today or a conversation around that of uh, decreasing population and the opportunities to, to have children, et cetera. Um, and my point will always be the same that it doesn't matter if you're going to have children, but you have to be able to have children. So that's the, and, and the health that comes with that, right? Um, not, not your relations, but the health that comes with being able to do that. So I do like, I, I do appreciate your point and how nutrition ties into that. Cause that could be, um, you know, some, some people would never think about that as a golden light if they don't plan on having children. It's like, yeah, but you don't need to have children, but uh, you should be able to, and your nutrition can help you with that because all those things will tie it together because it's a natural innate process that uh, just allows you to uh, express yourself uh, for another 60, 70 years mm-hmm. effectively. So I love that. Did you think about anything with regards to nutrition and learning inside the peaking? You're just, you're, you're, I'm you're just at a peak, I right? Am, yeah. Well, no, I'm or this over. Is congratulations. I'm oh, I'm nice. Resisting. Yeah. Just hit 40. But uh, no, nothing like, I don't know. I can't really think of anything that stands out on the nutrition side that would be different. I yeah. guess. You yeah, still I want I variety. You still I don't know want consistency. Ooh, ooh. Uh, yeah. James. Uh, I think uh, <laughs> the learning, um, <laughs> I felt like I felt a little bit like Chris Farley there. I don't know if anyone picked up on it, but I just watched his, uh, his uh, documentary. Um, oh, stupid, that. stupid. I should have asked that question. <laughs> um, <laughs> Uh, no, I, I think about uh, the, I've discussed this before, but inside the learning, I think learning has gone to the side as an expectation from 25 to 40 years of age. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't, I can't, because I never lived back in the 1920s or 1820s, 1720s, 1620s, I don't know, but, um, and I think probably lifetimes and mortality, et cetera, were different, but I just don't see it as, like I see all the energy being placed towards just a number of things that society's telling you you're supposed to do for that for that age, right? Um, get a, get a family and get a house and get a job and like do the things, right? And that takes a lot of energy, a lot of mental energy, and uh, I just don't think that there's probably a lot of time set aside for uh, books or you know opening your mind to different opinions and. Uh, uh, that so that's one thing I think on learning it doesn't really give much to what's 
the general consensus on it, but I think that's really missing out for a lot of those individuals. I yeah, feel I that. I agree. Yeah, I on the nutrition and the learning piece, there's a, you f you're falling into this adult routine in mm. this peaking stage where you're potentially in a job where you're nine to five or whatever it is and you're at your desk and you're uh, you know, kind of a slave to that system and then you've got a family to look after and a house and there isn't a lot of like, you know, free time to engage in learning activities and then nutrition as well. Like you're all of a sudden having to fit where you eat your meals into what society dictates you're doing. Mm -hmm. So a lot of people have a very hard time when they get into their first like professional careers, finding that rhythm and routine and nutrition mm -hmm. uh, because of all the expectations on them. Yeah, so, I think yeah. it's expectations as well as the improper scaffolding. Yeah. I mean, the improper Absolutely. scaffolding is always an easy out for me to use, but it, um, it's just realistic. Yeah. Right? Well, that's ask anyone say, at that uh, phase who has a problem with developing habits ask them about their grow growing up, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. They had an adult in the room who didn't give a shit about health, right? They have a, you know, an improper perception around physical expression, right? And they were told to learn these things in order to have this job, to sit in this desk, to do this, right? And now you're like, you need to develop this habit yourself. And they're like, you know, cuckoo uh, based upon it. So th I think it's along those lines. Yeah, I know we're talking about it in this whole model, but it's just carryover, right? So it's like if those, if those individuals learned, which um, relative to nutrition, uh, th these are my behaviors. This is how I do it. This is what I do when they get into those situations where they're put into that environment where it's like, you know, other people would have a bunch of excuses of like, I'm too busy to do this. I'm too busy to do that. It's too hard to do this. It's like those behaviors are just carried over. Um, cause I mean, all of us in this room, I don't think we ever use the excuse, like we're too busy to eat good food. Mm -hmm. I don't think we ever use the excuse. We're too busy to move our bodies in the morning. Right. It's just mm -hmm. like, it's an it's just there. Right. Yeah. So I think, uh, I think that's a good point on like the, the scaffolding idea. And I don't think that's just an excuse. I think that's reality. Like if someone hasn't, if someone isn't used to doing something to try to pick that thing up when there's a lot of potential excuses is, uh, is challenging. Yeah. Cause some someone out there may be listening that may just know that just by us saying it, it relinquishes the, the the pain that they felt mm -hmm. in terms of making habit. Like they may have listened and be like, oh, geez, you know, changing habits right now probably will be tough for me. And this is why, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. I didn't have role models, didn't have friends, didn't have society, et cetera. But I'm not letting you out. <laughs> you yeah. know, it's still up to you. Yep. It is up to you. And then relative to learning, I think in that growth phase, you're like, you're being molded, right? Mm -hmm. You're being molded. You're learning a bunch of things. You as a person, you're being molded. But I think in this peaking phase, you're actually being solidified, right? Mm -hmm. And I'm not saying people can't change their minds after yeah, they no. turn 40 years old, but I think a lot of solidification happens in this phase mm -hmm. where it's just like you're learning who you actually are yeah. in this phase. Um, so I think that's something that's important, nothing to do with uh, physical expression or anything like that, but just like really learning who you are and, and, and what you believe and, and all that stuff is, is kind of solidified here. Yeah, no, I love, I love that word. Um, and I don't think, I don't think, uh, nefariously because the, the, the word solidification, sometimes people can think that it just stops things yeah. and I'm not se sensing whatsoever you're coming from that. I love that. Um, yeah, cause I was just thinking about on that whole timeline, this is a wonderful opportunity too, where we've had conversations with friends and people around this age where they say those things, like I really became conscious or truly aware around this age, mm -hmm. right? And, and, it's, and, and I'll tell you, it's not that, uh, you know, when you're 48, like I am, it's like, oh no, when you're there, then you say it. No, there is, there is something that happens. And I think it is biologically tuned to like the growth of prefrontal cortex and like life experiences and your other things, a society and, and uh, family and those other responsibilities. Like you really open your eyes at this point. That's what you're saying. I think that's yeah. what I'm pulling from it anyways. It's like, there's, 
you know, you're starting to dictate like, okay, I got all this shit on board and what I know and what I'm capable of. I, I know deep down I have these opportunities to express myself this way. And that's what I see as being solid. Yeah. yeah I use the word like yeah, consistency yeah. or the opportunity for consistency and sustainability. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Go, going like into, that. going into resist. Um, the, the first thing I think about when I think about resisting is quietness and not relative to your death. Can I, can I, <laughs> can we come back on that? Just yeah. Because yeah, yeah. I just thought about a point for nutrition on, uh, on peaking. Okay. Um, it's that, uh, on that same point, I think a lot in this phase start developing, uh, more intuition around self-responsibility and what really matters to them, right? Mm -hmm. For sure. They're being preyed upon as to what to do, but at that age, you also, stop conforming as much yeah. right so you start developing this individual responsibility and this like you know the me really comes out at this point right sometimes that becomes extreme but uh, i think it's a positive thing for nutrition so i yeah. think they start going you know what i'm not like the rest of those yeah. dough heads following that diet right this is what works for me based upon what i want to do so. after they stop idolizing taylor swift <laughs> hopefully that happens in this phase <laughs> as well um but no <laughs> on the uh resisting piece um yeah that quietness thought right where it's mm. just like uh, as i was through that growth phase it was very noisy i was learning a bunch of things i was kind of being exposed to things for the very first time and then i was through that peaking phase and i was trying to like figure out who i am i was figuring out how i can do these things as sustainably as possible and figuring out my practices as a human what i believe and then you get to that resisting phase i think i'm not there yet but i think getting to that resisting phase it's just like do things start to just like quiet down and now it's just like now i'm just like enjoying the rest of my time here um you know, and I know that's different in a, with a 40 year old versus a 70 year old. I'm not saying you turn, <laughs> kids is like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, watch out, buddy. I, I know, I know that's different, uh, 40 to 70, but I think that's where you're getting closer to in that resisting phase. And going back to, um, what you said last week, James, uh, that just like totally blew my mind was this idea of like physical expression and resisting entropy and that we're trying to like, you know, uh, straighten out that curve but there is a curve nonetheless and you like added this not visually i wish you would have added it visually but you added it uh with your words of like there's something going up on the other side and that's like spirituality um that's cognitive abilities um that's like awareness that's all those things and i was just like yeah me too gosh i like, I like knew that but i never thought about it that way like so that was that was really interesting awesome yeah i'm glad it uh affected you guys i did man gosh yes. i've been thinking about it that was deep i can tell while. you it's the only thing that gives me hope every morning <laughs> i'll tell you that i'll be completely honest every time i step underneath that squat rack uh i'll be honest that's the only thing that gives me hope it's the yeah. only thing that i'm holding on to mm -hmm. yeah it yeah. was deep i think you're right though about the quietness like i have just noticed a lot more like uh focus on observation mm -hmm. um a lot of a lot more observation a lot of reflection uh, and then like maybe even more heightened awareness of just, am I really, are my actions really in alignment with those things that I, that I say I value, um, and being really fixated on that every day. Yeah. That's great. Yeah. I think there's, you know, indirectly, you know, to, to generalize from 40 to 83, you're going to constantly be bombarded with these, uh, these cues and these realities. And that's, that's the greatest thing around the whole, the whole human life project right, is that uh, there's these truths every week and et cetera, you know, um, just to use the example of a female at 50, you know, with the, um, you know, let's say a, an onslaught of six months of 
thermogenic uh, differences and sleep disruptions and mood disruptions and appetite disruptions and uh, you know some of this the, the, these vital you know very personal but like natural phenomena of a detoxification that was monthly happening for 30 years of your life is now not there anymore right so I just pause on that to make you see that these are just reflections back that you can't you can't turn your back on and you're not supposed to turn your back on what I'm saying is that you're supposed to uh, fall in love with that and appreciate the fact that these are truths and how you deal with it and how you move forward but it's still on that curve you know what I'm saying it, there's just a different aspect to it um, and as I just drew that out or did that movement um, I think that if we were to have this conversation like I still think we need to possibly in different ways Males and females operate differently on this curve as well. And I think that would, would definitely come in here that's apparent um, in this area, in resist for males and females, uh, just based on biological differences for the rest of the time, um, as well as, and expectations around purpose in life and et cetera, but also, um, you know, at uh, pubescent stages. You know, so I think, not to, not to back us up, but I think there could be two graphs that explained more clearly that are not fundamentally or, you know, so discreet that uh, we look very sexist by actually doing it. No, I think it actually offers a better opportunity to be more clear based upon where you may sit on it for that. So those are the things I think about for resist, or sorry, yeah, resist and, yeah. Uh, and uh, aging and, yeah, I was and thinking, tying all that in. Yeah, I was thinking about, because um, I, I was just like doing, you know, butterflies and rainbows on it, but in this phase, there could also be a lot of regret that happens. Yeah. Uh, because like, all those days are now behind you and you really start to think, gosh, I wish I would have done it this other way. I yeah. wish I would have made this decision versus the other decision. I wish I would have, yeah. uh, you know, had children or whatever the case was. Yeah. Um, I think a lot of people start looking back and thinking about that as well. Yeah. Well, the truth in that is that <coughs> it actually can't be rewired, but I think the conversation around it, um, again, as I say, doesn't lead to nihilism. Um, and I would also say that it's just as painful for the athlete and the demons that they have to deal with, like I still deal with every day, that is probably, I'm not gonna judge or level, but is probably just as harrowing or nihilist as that person who got to that point and is now facing what you were described mm -hmm. as like, oh geez, I regret doing all those things. So they're one and the same, and that's why I still put you know, sickness and, and elite performance right on the same line of the curve, yeah. right? Whereas the vital person over there, if you're at that point and you're questioning those things for regrets, I think the awareness of it is the key thing and conversation around it. Um, and then just fucking pick your pants up and just just get going because your first steps are the, f are the first steps in order to allowing that. So if you want to put it into like a, some people learn differently, but you just, you just don't want the downhill slide to just be so downhill. Mm -hmm. That's an easy way of looking at it, right? So who gives a shit, you know? but all your regrets and things that, but you can still like try to flatline that sucker out, you know, yeah. be a Carl. <laughs> Get to know our hosts and a sneak peek behind the scenes of the Live A Larger Life show when you follow us on Instagram at Live A Larger Life. We look forward to chatting with you there. Uh, movement. Um, this is an important one. I, the first thing that comes to mind here is um, the, the just like doing, yeah. just the continue doing it. Um, I'll leave it there. What, yeah. what do you guys have to add to that? Yeah, continue. Consistency, yeah. sustainability. Yeah, I mean, I could, again, because I'm there now, I could, uh, you know, probably write a book on it. 
um, and, and reflect upon it in a bunch of different ways. But yeah, you hit it on the head. It's uh, just being there. Yeah. Yep. Uh, being there. You can just imagine, like, I got nothing to learn, you know? Like, I mean, in terms of uh, physical improvements or performance, there's not a lot of things I haven't done physically and angles and feelings and et cetera. Um, so the question remains, well, why would you continue to do it? Um, it's because I know that it's connecting me to making sure that that line stays as stable as possible for the rest of time. Yeah. And there's yeah. enjoyment in that too, right? Oh, enjoyment in the fact that, uh, uh, there's consistency and, and sustainability in what I do. Yes. Yeah. yeah in the actions. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, I really enjoy that. I think about what I hope to be doing in the resisting phase, which is traveling the world and seeing new places. And if I'm not capable of being physically active in that time, I'm not going to be able to do that, yeah. right? And yeah. while you may not be having new movement challenges, setting a new back squat PR or a new 5K row time or whatever it might be, you could certainly hike a new mountain or go and see something beautiful that you've never seen before. And that relies on physical fitness to be able to do that. You bet. Absolutely. You bet. There's lots of things inside of that hey, traveling that James, people forget about. James, we could create a bunch of just like obscure challenges and you can get the best known times in those challenges if that makes you feel better. If it's possible. I mean, I have the fastest known times <laughs> across the valley for numerous things that people don't <laughs> we can do know like, about. We could do like one leg <laughs> pedaling on a, on a mountain bike. Oh, for, yeah, obscure for like, things. For like one mile. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And be like, hey, that's the best known time for that uh -huh. mile. Yeah. No one has ever done it in my community. <laughs> <laughs> get the Guinness Book of World Records out here to yeah. Uh, validate. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The obscure um, Guinness Book. I know, we're, I know we're running a little over right now, but um, I don't want to skip over just the idea of nutrition and learning in this phase as well. Again, I think it's just a continuation from a nutrition standpoint. Um, but now that we're here, though, I think it's a it's an interesting s to see how you label you label it out, even in our conversation, right? So just imagine if we started with resisting and then we went backwards. So all these principles are arising as we're discussing it, meaning that there's two ways to look at this: you either had good scaffolding, you get to this point, and it's not even a conversation anymore, or you're effed up and you're so far gone that you just got to rehab this sucker for the rest of the time and try to keep it flat. So it's the same thing inside inside of nutrition now. Yep. Um, and it, it's not going to be, you know, something extremely different. I think just to maybe add something to the table to kind of think about is these is this, is this thing that regardless, like we know that this curve is going down, it's not going up. So inside of that curve going up in terms of fueling ourselves for physical expression, there's actually in a macronutrient sense and a micronutrient sense, some particular things that are more important than others as we do that physical expression, right? As to the consider the 99.5%, right? For as long as possible. But what would change, you know, fundamentally, think about that. I always throw the protein in there as one thing to kind of like just, you know, chew on and think about. If one is not actually breaking down the nervous system because they can't, if one doesn't have the innate hormones and the gut that's available now after 60 years to do all the recovery mechanisms like they did do, and if they actually can't express even somewhat near what they used to do, then you should look at macronutrients and micronutrient profiles slightly differently. Um, I think that's the only thing that I think creates a just an interesting conversation that I'm observing in myself. I observed it in some of my older clients that I had um, who either both had a fully expressed life or just were in the rehab phase for their time. And um, so it's something something to chew on, meaning that the total amount of grams of protein that people are going to get in today are significantly less than what people would think for a classic engineered model 
mathematical model of, uh, um, you know, body mass index and this is how much protein you should have relative to your lean mass and et cetera, et cetera. I know we don't Sorry. have time to get into it, but if yeah. we got into it, um, gosh, we would say that story for a lot of different things where it's just like you just need less nice. of this over oh, time. Oh, for sure. Yeah, right? yeah. Yeah. So that is interesting. Um, for sure. And some of it's connected to um, not needing to fuel activity. And a lot of it, it's, it's, it's also connected to uh, your body is actually not only not growing, but shrinking. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. Some interesting well, stuff. Yeah. We just think about there. the, think about how all that micronutrient scaffolding for 80 years, you know, resulted in something as, as unfortunate as, you know, the immune system issue that we went through uh, with COVID and how those 80 years of older who had those either preconditioned immune system issues. Cause I see when people say immune issues, to me, that says a gut that's not functioning fully properly or the gut-brain connection is just not fu- fully functioning properly. That's the way I see it. It doesn't mean I'm right, but that's the way I see it. So just think about that, that if you, if you do have that, all that scaffolding necessary, you know, if you do want to have the strongest immune system possible, food does really matter significantly in this resisting phase, mm-hmm. more so on the quality side than the quantity, just yep. to kind of throw that one in in regards to if you believe that the microbiota and your gut flora and your gut brain connection is extremely important. Um, I didn't even throw in, you know, um, cognitive issues that are definitely coming down with your point on cells, you know, cells everywhere die off. Yeah. Right. So that's, uh, that's something that scares me. I have it in my family lineage. I think my exposure to lactate for 15 years. Um, but hopefully I'll be on this show for 30 years to prove everyone wrong, but um, yeah. I'm a little, I'm a little nervous about that one for cognitive disruption. All right. I'll go against modern science and say that aging is actually not a disease. Yeah. You know, it's, uh, it's being pushed that aging is a disease that we need to cure. Yeah. Yep. Let's, uh, let's wrap it up there. Yeah. yeah. That's good. That's great. Yeah, thank you guys. Appreciate it. Thanks for joining us on this episode. If you're on YouTube, please like, subscribe, and join us in the comments below.